We should get uh, better music. No, intro that, music. I like that music. You like that music? I think it uh, sets the mood. So we are at session three. Yes. This is where we needed Thomas, actually. Yes, we do need Thomas, but... <laughs> so, actually, that's a thought. Maybe we should have Thomas, but he's busy. He's busy. He yeah, we're, we're not busy. We don't do anything except drink coffee all day. You know, that's what pastors do for a living. They just drink coffee all day and hang out. Uh, Starbucks has been the uh, headquarters and office for lots of church plants. For Fuji, it's not Starbucks. It's Panera. Panera. Panera coffee. Subs yeah, because... It's not really the taste. It's the all you can it's drink. It's definitely not the taste. No. <laughs> if you like watered down Twigs coffee, Panera is really good for that. All the flavors, they taste exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, they have about 10 flavors. And all no. taste like 7-Eleven coffee. <laughs> Three regular, one decaf. But I believe today we're talking about the Great Exchange. Is that correct? The Great Exchange is... It's incredible. It is our understanding of the gospel. I think uh, for my group and for the people that I was connecting with, they each had this idea that, you know, um, the first part of that exchange, the imputation of our sin to Christ, is something that everyone generally grew up with and had a understand an understanding of to some extent, but Without a doubt, the second part of that exchange is something that most of us, including myself, we did not grow up with this understanding of imputed righteousness and the implications of that for the Christian life. So I don't know why that is. Um, somewhere along the way, it got forgotten or misplaced or just de-emphasized. Uh, I do think sometimes it's theological, like there is a certain parts of Christianity where there's a de-emphasis on the imputed righteousness of Christ. And so you have things like New Perspective of Paul, Covenantal Gnomism. I know for some that's, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's okay. But it is one reason theologically why it's been de-emphasized. But I think for most of us, it wasn't because of a theological reason that it was de-emphasized. I just think it wasn't a part of the uh, the makeup of what we believed as a Christian. And we just weren't, it wasn't preached, it wasn't taught, it wasn't part of discipleship. You didn't read about it too often. What do you think? Yeah, I just, what comes to mind is, you know, going to camps, retreats, uh, sometimes crusades when you're young. Mm -hmm. The part that was emphasized was fear hell. You got to go to heaven. The only way you're going to do it is you got to get deal with your sins. And that's what comes to mind. That's what was the goal of so much of the ministry. Mm -hmm. And I remember, like, I don't know, maybe if I did a hard swing in the ministry that I was a part of, that after I was growing in the gospel, mm -hmm. we kind of made a hard shift from, like, trying to get them saved, spending, like, a huge chunk of our time trying to get them saved. We made the other pendulum swing of trying to help them to see the righteousness of Christ. Mm -hmm. But I think both are needed, one for salvation and the other one for sanctification. Mm -hmm. Gospel for salvation, my sin upon Jesus. That's pretty much what was emphasized. It's hard to remember, right? Recall mm -hmm. like, you know, what you grew up with at, at age 10 or 15 or like what you heard. I didn't hear that. I did not hear uh, next week's topic on 
I did not hear about adoption. I heard about it post um, Sonship or during Sonship. And then weirdly, I went back and started reading Knowing God, which we read in seminary um, for systematic theology under David Wells. It was, I believe it was David Wells, or no, it might have been Richard Lintz, first semester of systematic theology. Professor Gordon Conwell. Yes. And we had to read Knowing God. And in it, he talks about adoption. I mean, here's the thing is that, I mean, there is a pragmatism when in seminary where for some, we veer on the side of wanting to do ministry so much that we don't focus as much about, it's not that we're not concerned about what we're learning. It's that it, it sort of becomes dichotomized. You learn for the sake of getting the degree, a master of divinity, or for some who couldn't handle it, a master of Christian education. He's referring to me when I went to seminary at Gordon Conwell. I was the only, at least, Korean American male or Asian American male doing a master of arts in Christian Seton. education. Yeah. Yes, a beautiful degree. Yeah, everybody else did a master of divinity because he couldn't handle it. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. You can't handle the empathy. We learn what we were learning so that we could get the degree, so that actually we could do ministry, and then we do ministry without actually integrating what we're learning. I mean, I'm not. That's a big statement. It's not across the board, the case, total generalization. But I think that dichotomy happens not just in seminary, but in the Christian life is that we learn, we read, we hear God's word preached, we hear the gospel, but then we leave that Sunday and then we go, I'm just going to live my life the way that I want to. It doesn't actually integrate into the way that I think. It doesn't change the way that, that I live. And so when I went and uh, finally had what I would what some describe as a gospel awakening, you might say. It's not that you were born again, but you have this sudden awakening of, wow, Jesus is the center of everything. I never realized that. And then I went back and started rereading or listening to uh, classes that we took in seminary, read certain books, such as Knowing God by J.R. Packer. I was thinking, wait a second, this was all there. So why is it that I read these books, learned these things, listened to these sermons preached, and and just didn't hear it. So is it that it was never preached and therefore I just never heard? Or is it that it was preached, it was taught, but I didn't have ears to hear and eyes to see? And so when the Lord sort of, as he did to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, where he opened their eyes and their hearts so that they might understand that the scriptures were about him, in a sense... I sort of went through that process and I realized, wait a second, I actually understand now. And it's such a different world than, than what I lived before. I was, um, again, like for lack of a better phrase, gospel awakened. To dovetail into that, what you just said is, you know, you mentioned Luke 24, as well as all the times that the disciples misunderstood. They probably... Which is what you talked about that first day. Right. Disciples probably focus, my guess, on his teachings, the wisdom, Sermon on the Mount, and the healings, mm -hmm. probably his interaction with the Pharisees, mm -hmm. and that's all there. Mm -hmm. Like all along, Jesus was probably leading them up to his death and resurrection, mm -hmm. his going to the cross. Mm -hmm. They didn't hear that. No. They didn't have years to hear. Yeah. And they continually misunderstood. Mm -hmm. But for Jesus, that was the you know culmination, not just mm -hmm. of his life, but all of, you know, God redeeming mm -hmm. mankind. Mm -hmm. Only after his death and resurrection, 
they look backwards and say, oh, that's what he was talking about. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was really, you know, everything that he was doing and, and talking about was really about his death and resurrection and leading up to that. Practically, mm -hmm. I think, and this is what I learned over the years is, I think somebody has to actually interact with an individual and say, look, the gospel is the most important thing. And in the gospel, you have holiness of God and sin. You have the great exchange. These are the things that make the gospel so good. Somebody has to put in front and center of your heart and life and say, this is the most important part of the Christian life. Or, you know, to put it in more cruder terms, to get in your face and say, look, you think that you understand the Christian life. Good. You probably do. But here's the most important thing in the Christian life. Mm -hmm. And somebody really get in your face so that the next time you hear it, you listen to a sermon. Oh, there's the gospel. Here's Jesus's work on the cross. Sufficient for me. Then your ears are much more attuned or sensitive, salient to the gospel. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think one key way that we grow in grace is to have the open heart to be willing to listen to others who want to remind us of that grace. It's, uh, it is important. It's interesting, though, that disciples were with Jesus and there's no greater teacher or, and yet they still didn't get it, you know, for three years of nonstop teaching. And so it just makes you realize that Yes, we actually do exactly need each other to be in each other's lives, to remind each other, but you still can't see it unless the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, you know, ultimately, because it's just that blind our eyes are and our hearts are cold. And yeah, so it's, um, so we're in good company. You're in good company. <laughs> Because if the disciples couldn't get it after three years, 24-7 of being with Jesus, and then after he dies, and then after he rises again, finally, and after he ascends, finally gets it after the Spirit comes, and because the Holy Spirit comes, and then they go and they really get it. So, like I said, we're in good company. So don't be discouraged if... This is a journey. Actually, one person in our group was sharing how they, they, can, they can understand with their mind what we were saying, but in terms of in their heart, like saying, oh, I want to live that way. I want to be, it, it just still was not there. And my encouragement to him was, it's okay. You know, that I mean, God has his timing and we, we're going to grow together. And it might take another year, it might take 10 years, but if we at least are open to him, he will answer that prayer. What do you think? I think we get, or some of us get, my sin on Jesus. But it is harder spiritually, can I say, to get Jesus's righteousness in me mm. and working that out mm. and you know, letting by the Holy Spirit do its work on the heart. And we say it so quickly, but it does take time to work out what does it mean to have my identity in Jesus, the righteousness uh, that I've been imputed, mm -hmm. and hence my identity has changed. Mm -hmm. I'm a now a child yeah. of God. Yeah. The way that God the Father sees me and what that means and all the implications just multiply it over and over again and to work that out into mm -hmm. life. That takes time. Yeah. We got to get that, right? Yes. It takes time, but we strive. You know, we move forward. And I do think that if we think that the Christian life is just simply sitting back and allowing things to happen, 
that doesn't understand grace, you know, the implications of grace. Grace is the more you are impacted by what Christ has done, your heart's desire is to want to obey him. Works don't flow out of a sense of approval because we are already in Christ approved, but as a fruit of our love for him, we want to obey him. It's a desire of ours. We brought up in our group that what you just said is a much more powerful motivation for obedience. Christ's righteousness on me, Mm -hmm. his Mm -hmm. identity on me, and that's how God considers me. That's a greater motivation Mm -hmm. for obedience versus I got to just obey Mm -hmm. for God's approval. Mm -hmm. I got to work on my righteousness, my Mm -hmm. level of righteousness, so that God would accept me. It looks like that would be a greater motivation to like work really hard, but that actually Mm -hmm. is not. What Mm -hmm. do you think? Yeah. I think that works for a little while. I think the challenge is that it actually can work. And even sometimes like a big bonfire, you know, you, I mean, it just can explode. But if there's no long-term means by which the, the coals are tilled and and really watched over that bonfire just it's like lighter fluid really i mean lighter fluid is great (laughs) who doesn't love lighter fluid for a fire right but it doesn't last too long but it goes very high right very high and so i sort of see as a works that flows out of our sense of approval obligation duty if that's the basis and that's all it is you can do great things for a time but eventually it will die out and end of it is just just like a fire it's just ruins you know it's it's usually ruin i mean you see that in so many believers and i do think a lot of the the so-called deconstructionism of faith movement if you consider people like that a lot of it and if you track back it is that sense of i have to prove my faith i have to be somebody special usually it's famous people who were big-time preachers, welcomed at conferences. And when they're living that life, and when it's all about you know, that your reputation, what happens when that's gone? It's ruins. It's, it's just burnt embers. You know? and, but that's not the gospel's power. The gospel's power is to bring you through, through fires and keep you going to the very end. And if it doesn't do that, you really have to ask the question of, was that really the gospel that is producing that fruit? Or was it my sense of reputation, worth, value, significance, even with a gospel dress or a gospel language? And that's something that we talked about in our group is the idea that you could actually be legalistic with grace and the gospel. I've seen it happen many times. You know, and people ask, well, how do you be, how are you legalistic with let me ask you that question? How do you think you can be legalistic and ungracious with grace? Yeah, I had this conversation with Lisa. I can't recall what what the conversation was. Uh, Lisa was in the group. Yeah, Did yeah. Did she we, mention that? You tell me. Well, I was saying how um, I remember our days when we were part of Sovereign Grace. You know, the language that we used so often was the gospel, gospel-centered, uh, gospel preaching, the word gospel. And it was used pretty regularly. But you start evaluating people on that basis. And it's not that we shouldn't uh, consider where people stand and their understanding of their Christian life, sanctification. But I think what we did was we took a new framework, called it the gospel, and then basically evaluated and to be more frank, to judge people and criticize people, even ministries, churches, 
on the basis of, are you as gospel-centered as I am? And if the answer is no, then judgment comes. It's, oh, you're a false church, or you're not really doing real ministry, or you're not loving or caring for people. Now, I would say that before we had a, a gospel basis or foundation, I would say that we were um, trying to uh, honor the Lord, live for his glory. I think it's, it's uh, as Jerry Bridges says, it's seeing the TV show in black and white versus color. It doesn't mean that you're not watching the TV. It just means that you're missing the vibrancy of it. And the vibrancy is actually what causes you to press on to say, this is delightful, even when it's hard. And, and it gives you sustainability, perseverance, all of those things. So there's real need for gospel centeredness and framework, which is why we're even doing this in the first place. But once I start hitting you over the head with it and start saying, you have no place in my fellowship, like I can't even talk to you if you don't speak the right gospel speak. Because you don't get it. Because you don't get right. it. If I judge way. you because you don't get it, and that's the danger, I think, of even for some of you who are perhaps taking this, something like this, whether it's sonship, gospel well, is once you do it, and I've experienced this myself from others. I remember before I took sonship, people who took it would be like, oh, I took sonship. They talk about it. They boast about it. They brag about it. And they say, oh, you didn't? You must not be as spiritual as me. That's called being legalistic with the gospel. And to me, that's actually worse than just being straight legalistic because you're taking grace and you're manipulating it. And that's, that is not good. So the more you get the gospel, the more you should actually be gracious, especially to those who quote, don't get the gospel rather than hitting them over the head with it or judging them or evaluating their spirituality. Why not just simply say, I, I love you and pray for you, you know, and I, I want you to know I'm excited to grow with you together could be take a whole lifetime. So we should be, those who get the gospel should be more gracious. One thing that is, I think, if a person who is growing in the gospel, they see another person who are not growing in the gospel, legalistic in their mindset, I think you're gracious. You get in there and yes, you've heard the gospel. Mm -hmm. You already know what the gospel is, but you know what the church is trying to do. Mm -hmm. Disciple with the gospel. Mm -hmm. You get involved mm -hmm. and you want to, further that work right rather than oh i know it yeah and these people don't know it and yes. hence i'm better than they yes or i know it and mm -hmm. i don't have to learn the gospel again mm -hmm. but these people do over mm -hmm. here mm -hmm. no i think that's an indication where the gospel hasn't really has has much more work to do in your mm -hmm. life of when you hear the gospel you love it you want to hear it for the third or the 300th time. And not only do you want to hear it, you want to also share it in a gentle manner. With You work gently so that others can also hear it. Mm. That's good. You know, something that, uh, what something you said reminded me of uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And I think the idea of when you're in Christ, in Christ, you are the light of the world because he's the light of the world. I mean, we are essentially reflectors like the moon. We don't produce light. We reflect the light. And in that sense, we are the light of the world because we reflect the light of Christ, the gospel light of Christ. 
But I think it's interesting that he says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father is that if, if you're growing in the gospel, you don't actually have to hit people over the head with the fact that you're growing in the gospel and they're not. It's once you start comparing, you're basically not growing in grace. But what happens is that as you're growing in Christ and growing in grace, you just simply live your life graciously. You're just more kind, you're serving, you're hospitable, you show mercy, you lead by example. You don't have to tell people what they're doing wrong. You just simply live your life in faith. And so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I, I think that is so essential is that it's not me telling this person, oh, you have to go grow in the gospel. It's as you're growing in the gospel, that light shines so brightly that they start giving praise to the one whom you're living for. And I think of I think someone like George, I think he exhibits the gospel grace. And so therefore, everyone around him sees that light. He doesn't have to go around telling people, hey, be like me, or you got to grow like I am growing. It's He just lives his life and is moving in faith. And then people are just so struck by it. They go, I want to, I want to grow like that, you know? So I think that's the, what it means to have that gospel grace, which I know you're going to cover more in detail in sanctification by faith. It's what does this look like to live this out after this week? um, And maybe next time we're going to go into a lot more. How do we live this out? What does it look like? Because I think that's where people are at. Looking forward to seeing you all next time. Oh, are we done? Really? There's nothing else? No. We needed Thomas. Ask him some questions. Let's try. That's right. That would have been interesting. Yes. 